Welcome to... Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets Antenna Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we've got another edition of The Deciding Point, our weekly breakdown of everything that happens across the Division I college tennis world. Of course, here on Tuesday's show, we break down all the Division I women's action and Boy, do we have so much to discuss on today's show. The 2023 ITA kickoff weekend officially in the books. We know the 16 teams that will be competing in Seattle for the right to be named the 2023 National Indoor Champion, of course, on the women's side. There were upsets. There were top seeds flexing their muscles. There were consolation results that we have to point to as well. Again, so much action for us to recap that's what happens when you have what 60 teams in play over the course of a four-day stretch with all of that said super producer daniel westoff notes to me that we do have our first scotty b comment in the chat so we're officially ready to start this show and joining me as he will each and every tuesday night to help break down all of the ita kickoff weekend and division one women's college tennis action is a man you know best as a returning champion here on our crack rack it shows the founder of the No Ad No Problem blog and podcast. It's our dear friend John J. Parsons. Jay, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. Kickoff weekend in the books. How hungover are you, my friend? Not as hungover as you guys must be. Those are some long hours uh, and uh, sending well wishes to Scotty B in Texas, hoping he stays warm there. Uh, sounds like there's some ice on the roads, but yeah, you know, I have recovered. I hope you have as well, because we have a milestone to celebrate. We do. What is it? We do. You just hit 5,000 followers on Twitter. Oh, see, I'm glad I... <laughs> I'm glad someone else noticed it. Um, yeah, 5K has a nice ring to it. Now, here's the real thing, and... I like to continue to push myself, never satisfy, you know, never settle for good when great or excellence is out there. I need that K in the follower mm, account when well, it's, you know, 10K or 12K. That's when you know you're legit is when you have some sort of letter in your follower account. But shout out to the college tennis universe who has certainly helped us get there. You look at Instagram, correct rackets across the board whenever we have the opportunity to do something like broadcast what was it, 16 or 15 different ITA kickoff weekend uh, kickoff regions throughout the course of four days. It was a lot of fun for us. I don't think Super Producer Daniel Westoff or I will be fully able to open our eyes, honestly, until May, because we've got so many fun things packed uh, and planned here over the course of this college tennis season. But you do bring up Scotty B needing to stay warm in Texas. That's the perfect time for me to bring up a new addition to this show. And those of you who are watching on YouTube will see it. Those of you listening to the podcast may want to go check this out. I am currently wearing, and I like to consider myself an expert on a couple of things. I like to think college tennis, I'm in the small bubble. I also like to think, in ter- you know, people who eat Reese's, I call it Reese's because that's what the real ones do. I'm in that small circle as well. I have worn a lot of hoodies in my day, and I am someone who doesn't like to wear a shirt under the hoodie because I think one shirt is more than enough. Therefore, I'm particular about the fabric, about how soft certain clothing items are that I wear. 
I have never felt more snug than I do right now in this LS hoodie and both Jay, who you see on your screen, and super producer Danny Westoff prior to the start of the show. They said I was giddy entering today, and it's because we have so much great action to break down. But, Jay, it's also because I'm as comfortable as I've ever been, and I look good. I look like someone who should have 5,000 Twitter followers. You fill out the sweatshirt very nicely. <laughs> it looks very comfortable. I think it broadens the shoulders a little bit. So, yeah, I think you wear it well. I think it does give me shoulders for the first time. I agree. I would say it gives you shoulders, yes. Yeah. It's also the side of a good hoodie is a white drawstring, and they're nice white drawstrings here at LS. And obviously, we're thrilled to be bringing LS on our team and so happy to have them sponsoring this deciding point throughout the course of the year. Obviously, they support college tennis. They support tennis players everywhere. They're getting back in to the tennis market, in particular here in the U.S., and you know, be ahead of the curve. Go get your LS gear now. You can learn more by clicking on links in the description to this show. Of course, also a shout out to our returning friends at Swing Vision. They're at the forefront of all artificial intelligence innovations happening within our sport. If you want to get better in the most efficient way possible, download the Swing Vision app today. You set it up on the back fence when you play. It will do the rest. It will break down your hitting session, show you the winner, show you the errors, and so much more. Uh, again, a shout out to our friends at Swing Vision. You can learn more about them by clicking on the link in the description to this show. Make sure you use our promo code CRACK20 when you do sign up. With that said, we're not going to break down all 60 matches that we saw throughout the course of the weekend. We're not going to talk about all 60 teams, but there are a lot of storylines, a lot of things that we have to unpack here on today's show. And I think the simplest and most organized place to start is probably with the upsets because as opposed to the men's side where according to your research shout out to you first time in history it looks like all 15 host teams will have advanced to the ita national indoor championships at least since this kickoff weekend format was introduced on the women's side as anticipated we had a healthy amount of upsets and a big one on our hands as Jay's preseason national champion pick. He knew it was coming. I hope all of you <laughs> see his face. He knew uh, this was coming, but his preseason national champions in a team we had number three, I believe, in our preseason poll, the NC State Wolfpack, who of course made the national indoor semifinals last year, were uh, NCAA quarterfinalist last year as well. They were knocked out. In their kickoff weekend, Vanderbilt goes on the road and outdoors beats NC State in Raleigh. Let's start with that upset number one. Now, it wasn't as if Vanderbilt went and cleaned the clocks off of this NC State team. This was still a very good match, but it was a match that ultimately goes to Vanderbilt for three. And I think your biggest concern is the fact that NC State wins the doubles point and I'm fighting off a cough here. Excuse me. This is the beauty of a live show. Not only that, a lot of Smith gets a win at one. And I think for this Vandy team to still win that match, that's so impressive. Yeah, it's a really impressive display. I mean, you can go hear me talk about the Vanderbilt team on the No Ad No Problem podcast. I'm really high on this team. They're super talented. They're very deep. But coming into this match, it didn't seem like they were going to have Sonia McAvey, who was one of their top freshman recruits in the lineup. And she's you know, not in the lineup right now. 
And so when I saw that, I thought, okay, I think this is going to be a tough match for Vanderbilt. I think NC State with doubles, the depth, I think that's where they will will shine. And so coming into this match, you felt like Vanderbilt maybe had a shot at, you know, doubles. Once Nell Miller wasn't in doubles, you thought maybe they could get doubles. They don't get doubles. You think they could get Celia Belmore at number one over Alana Smith. They don't get number one. And the matches that they get were the surprises, right? You have Anna Ross, who has been out with injury for an extended period of time. She comes back from injury. She beats Amelia Rejecki at number two. You have Holly Staff get the win over uh, Abby Rinchelli at number three. And then they do sort of clean up at the bottom of the lineup, both Anessa Lee and Amy Stevens winning at five and six. Yeah, I think the big thing for this Vanderbilt team who, let's remind people, and you talked about talking about them. I'm going to hand it off to you as I recover, but I'm in tears because you were so exceptional. What was it about this Vanderbilt team that's so impressive is, you know, they bring back all but one starter from last year's roster. And the fact is they did go to Columbus and beat Ohio state in the NCAA regional last year, ultimately make it to the final site uh, in Champaign, or excuse me, to the super regional uh, in Texas A&M. And that was an experience for this group. And I'm sure that's why you circle them as well. But to your point for the veterans who didn't have the biggest fall, they were who performed so excellently in singles. Was it not yesterday? Yeah, it was right. And and some of them coming off of injury, like an Anna Ross, you hadn't seen play for that extended period of time. And so you didn't know exactly what sort of form she was in. But I think you're right. I think this is a team that brings back Pretty much everyone from the roster last year, they get Celia Belmore, you know, who is now a sophomore playing in that lineup, holding down that one position means everyone moves down. So, you know, that's a very dangerous team. And you you like to mention that these are your 2015 national champions. So they are not this year's Oklahoma by Gruskin standards, just because they have that historical pedigree, but this is a team that really struggled, right? Um, In 2019 through 2022, you saw the upswing at the end of last season and they're back. Yeah. And obviously it's a new coaching staff, right? Aliki has come in and Haley Carter have come in and now there's continuity for this program for the first time, probably since that aforementioned 2019 season starting. And, you know, again, on the flip side, if you're NC State, it was the system play. You win doubles. You know, you get a win from Alana Smith at one, which let's be clear, that win over Belmore, uh, that, that's uh, Celia Belmore, excuse me. That's an impressive victory. Like, that's yeah. a really good win over a top 50 player. And it wasn't just a victory. It was a victory in straight sets as well. And so on the NC, on NC State side of things, you have those two points there. And I do think it's very critical to note, yes, Vanderbilt comes away with a win, but Anna Ross, three-set win, 7-5 in the third over Rejecki. Holly Staff, 7-6, 5-7, win in the third over Rancelli. That's an either-or. You have Bridget Stammel, one of the new pieces for this Vanderbilt team. She also goes three sets with Sophie Abrams. Now, that's one that breaks NC State's way. Six single spot, Amy Stevens uh, over the new freshman, Zirnarova. Uh, the, the, correct me if I'm wrong. Close enough. Yeah. The point is, she is the freshman for NC yeah. State, not Diana Schneider, who I'm sure we'll talk about momentarily, uh, but playing at six. And even she goes three sets. I don't think NC State played bad. Like w- when there's four three set matches, you lose three of them. 
that's a tough day at the office for sure. But does this, I guess coming out of this, what I'm saying is all this does for me is raise the ceiling of this Vanderbilt team. I don't know that I necessarily knock NC State that hard for this loss. Oh, I do. Okay, make the Uh, case. Yeah, I mean, this is not a good loss. Uh, And I did not think Rejecki and Rinchelli played well at all. Uh, I thought that was so not... he didn't have this match for the record, so I didn't get the chance to see it. So talk to me what you saw. Well, I think there were a lot of I did not see Rejecki playing as aggressive as she normally is. She was not the aggressor in that match. That might be different if that was indoors. That was a surprise to me. And I thought Rancelli really struggled with Holly Staff's slice forehand. Uh, that caused a lot of issues for Rancelli, even down the home stretch. That was producing a lot of unforced errors for Rancelli. It wasn't their best tennis, right? And you talk about, yes, these were three set matches. Those are matches that typically go NC State's way, right? Yeah. And they certainly made this very tough down the home stretch. They close some large leads from Vanderbilt, but ultimately Vanderbilt gets the win. It's also at home. It's a tough loss for NC State. Fair. Would you have played indoors or outdoors? Well, I mean, the four court setup is just not ideal. <laughs> it's yeah, just fair. really rough. So I would I would play them outdoors, but I do think the elements were a factor, particularly in the Rejection and Shelley match. Interesting. The other questions I have for you, and I know you got these comments on Instagram, so I feel like this is the player, maybe Twitter. So this is the place to address them. We did not see Diana Schneider this weekend for NC State. Thoughts? Yeah, we did get a few questions on Instagram um, on the no ad, no problem Instagram. Look, she was not eligible this weekend to play. Um, So I don't know if we will see Diana Schneider play. She is on campus. She is at photo day. She is featured on the Instagram. She is also popping up now on WTA 250 entry list. She is on the entry list for 250 in Mexico later this month. So I think February is typically the turning point, right? There is the rare case where you see someone have, Hey, you have to sit for six matches, six matches of the first um, from for the spring spring season. We're starting to get past that point a little bit. Um, I would say if she does not play this weekend, you can almost you will can guarantee she's not playing. Vanderbilt coming out of this weekend, co-favorites to win the SEC or is it still Texas A&M in your mind? Yeah, I, I mean, I think SEC has the most women's teams heading to indoors. Right. And we talk about the strength of the ACC. SEC performed extremely well. I think you now have an A&M team who wins the SEC sort of running away last year. Probably going to be a little bit more tested this year, right? They played that Florida match really close. Now you have Vanderbilt knocking off NC State. You have Georgia looking strong. I think it's, you know, right now you still go A&M, right? You still lean A&M, but certainly Vanderbilt. Why not them at two or three? Well said. It's worth noting this Vanderbilt team six and seven last year in conference play. Now, three of those losses were four, three, but This team's ready to prove some things. They're going to get a shot at all the big guns as well as national indoor at national indoors. Excuse me. That will be three valuable matches for this core that is played together. But now they get a look at the best of the best, which, you know, again, super regional, really good. You don't get the chance to go to the final site. You do here in Seattle. This is a huge moment for this Vanderbilt program to get back on track. I'm really not concerned about NC State. Like they played a lot of close matches last year. Maybe that's your concern as things flip a little bit for them. But 
you know, again, they had some big moments go against them last year as well. You saw it certainly in the NCAA quarterfinal against Duke. This team plays close matches. Like, this is what they're built to do. And I think this is just a reminder of even on the days they lose, A, three three-set matches. B, they still won doubles. So for a January match, I'm not hitting the panic button yet. I think this shows me more about Vanderbilt, who also 5-0'd Furman, which is a very solid win uh, throughout the course of the weekend. That's upset number one. Let's move on to our next upset now. The next most intriguing to me happened in Miami for a couple of reasons. And I see you mentioning Scotty B, one of the consolation results we will certainly discuss. But let's talk about this Iowa State team. Last year, Cyclones managed to put together a fairly, you know, I would say a a pretty impressive uh, resume of results. You look, obviously, I think they won their first ITA regional in program history in the fall, 16 and 7. Wasn't it Naklo who advanced? Oh, the to, fall regional, yeah. Yeah, the fall regional and, you know, 16-7 overall in the spring. And, you know, this is a team that ultimately gets to the NCAA tournament, loses a tough first-round match to South Carolina. But the big thing about this group is they brought back everyone. And certainly you saw the byproduct of that continuity early in the season here. Iowa State, not one, but two, four, three victories on kickoff weekend, four, three over UCLA in match number one, a match where they drop the doubles point where Naklo drops the number one singles position. Then on day number two, completely different script, four, three victory. This time they take doubles. Naklo gets a three set win over Alexa Noel. You look for this team. They went undefeated at the number two spot over the course of the weekend as well. I think they went undefeated at four singles. So two big wins there. And again, you look for this Cyclones team. Certainly after uh, Oklahoma has the opening weekend that they did, although we'll talk about them and kickoff a little bit later. Why can't this Iowa State team finish no worse than third? in the big 12 this year, when you look with Oklahoma, Oklahoma state, Texas, obviously, I think they're going to consider themselves right in that mix. Now. I think that's the goal moving forward. And to me, the most impressive things, not only that they won, but how they did it in different ways, Jay. Yeah, this was the marquee upset for yeah. me. You know, I previewed this, their match with UCLA is it was one of the few top 25 matches in the first round. And you look at this lineup, you mentioned they bring everyone back. This is a lineup that can win at at one through six against pretty much anyone, right? And the way in which they did it with different pieces in both matches. I mean, you know, last year they had to pull out of kickoff weekend because of health reasons. And now a year later, and I, I honestly think that that sort of derailed the season a little bit. I don't think it ended up being the season that they were hoping for. I feel like we were talking about Iowa State at this time last year. They go about 500 in conference play. They lose that match to South Carolina. I think overall it was a fairly disappointing season. So to come back out with sort of this mindset of, hey, we didn't even get to play kickoff weekend last year. We were robbed of that opportunity. They knock off number 19, number 18 UCLA, Highest win in program history. They come right back around, play number 10 Miami at home, knock them off as well. For now, their highest ranked win in program history. Look, kickoff weekend delivers such exciting narratives for a lot of these teams that are breaking through that are not traditional blue buds. And Iowa State certainly takes that mantle this year. Yeah, very well said. And they're into the national indoors for the first time, I believe, in program history. And again, 
I don't know how much NACLO you've watched to get a win outdoors over Alexa Noel on its surface is always going to be impressive. She's got game. Like I'm, I'm telling you, I like her at one going up against the big guns. And then again, you may not recognize some of the, the names further down uh, the, the singles lineup in this roster. They don't have that wave of top 50 players that some of the other schools we're going to discuss later on do, but they're all experienced. They all played pretty good tennis last year. They played a really there's I remember a really fun four three match for them. I think they dropped against Oklahoma State last year. But like, you know, again, I went and looked at the Iowa State uh, schedule. And by the way, they dropped the match earlier this year, five two to an Auburn team that, let's be clear, will be at the national indoors. I would not qualify that as a bad loss at all. But looking for this Iowa State team, it's funny. They travel to Texas. They travel to Baylor. They travel to Oklahoma State. And they travel to Oklahoma. That's brutal. Yeah. And that will test the best of the best. But I'll tell you what. Those four matches, I think, are consecutive. If they even go one and three or two and two in those two matches, you have a top 16 team. And they're going to get three matches against the big guns. And I really like, what's the difference between them and Auburn? What's the difference between them and Michigan? You have like a bunch of teams who are really deep, which with a bunch of returners where we're still trying to figure out who kind of goes where I like that. They get a shot to get in the mix. Yeah. Well, you mentioned that, you know, gauntlet during the regular season. That's the beauty of now going to indoors. If you get a match, I mean, Miami's going to be a top 16 team. They might even be in that 10 to 12 range, right? I don't know about UCLA. So that win is going to age, continue to age very well for them. If they get a win in indoors, you can drop one of those matches on the road. If you get a win, hey, it's 10% bump in your ranking. It's on the road. So, you know, they have the pieces here. We've seen if they get a win at indoors, we've seen how these early season wins can really catapult teams into the rankings throughout the rest of the season. Yeah, I would also say on that Miami note, they took five first sets in singles. They were up first sets on one and two. The two clinching matches they lost, the two three-set matches there. Look, it's been a while since Noel's been in this environment. And I would say if you're a Miami fan, patience, right? Because it's one thing to have success in the fall. It's a complete other to have kickoff weekend, three all, three twos, whatever, coming down to you. Yeah, and one could argue Alexa Noel's never been in this position, right? Sure. She's never played kickoff weekend at home, right, with that pressure. So, yeah, this is a, a first time for her, um, you know, and just a, a huge credit to the Iowa State team. I think this is one I feel much tells me a lot more about Iowa State than it does about Miami. So that's fascinating because I would put Vanderbilt in a tier of frisky. I mean, Vanderbilt to me was always in the Michigan, Ohio State tier of like next up after that definitive top 10. You know, USC at first was at the top. We'll get there in a little bit. Um, See, Vanderbilt to me, like them beating NC State is less of a shock than Iowa State 4 3 both UCLA and Miami on the road. I agree. Yeah. Which is why you're like Vanderbilt beating NC State. Like, I don't think it's that big of a disaster. This is why uh, this is all me to revisit a take of where I think you're wrong. I don't I never said disaster. I thought it was a bad loss. Right. Was it a surprise? We play we play good win, bad loss. Which which side would you go there? Well, again, it's always, you know, two sides of the same coin. It's a good win for Vanderbilt. It's a bad loss for NC State. Uh, Uh, You know, I think that that loss to Vanderbilt is. You know. It's the circumstances that made that tough, right? Um, the the Iowa State win over Miami was a bigger surprise to me than the Vanderbilt win over NC State. 
All right. Fair enough. Well, the thing that surprises probably most of anything all weekend, it's I mean, I had to call you that night to discuss it. And I, we try not to do that so that we can be as fresh as possible here on these shows. Iowa State beating UCLA 4-3. It's a young UCLA team. Everyone's kind of still figuring out who goes where position wise. That wasn't that. I wouldn't even say that was shocking. It was a good 4-3 match. UCLA right. wins the doubles. Iowa State outplays them down the stretch in singles. That happened. Why I picked to preview it. It's why I chose the match. It's a it, good match. Exactly. That's just good tennis. But for UCLA the next day to drop the doubles point and to lose, I believe, three straight set matches in singles to drop a 4-1 point, a 4-1 match, excuse me, to FIU, who, with all due respect, not the caliber of it's just like it's the second year in a row that this has happened early season losses for these UCLA Bruins Jay I mean again one in one this weekend not an issue at all and I don't think we're even talking about the Bruins right now but oh and two is just an unequivocal disaster yeah I, I mean one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about that Iowa State UCLA match and preview it is because both of these teams had a disaster kickoff weekend last year. Iowa State had to miss it. UCLA loses for the third time in program history to Washington at home. Iowa State completely did a 180. I mean, UCLA doubled down, right? I mean, this is a worse weekend than what they had to lose to Washington, who ended up being within the top 40, top 25 team. You know, the way in which UCLA lost was extremely surprising. You know, yes, it's a young team. Their top four consists of, you know, two freshmen and two sophomores. But at five and six, they do have experienced players there in Vanessa Ong and Sasha Vagramov. And those were not even close straight set matches. Those yeah, were really wanna, bad yeah, losses. They want to combine nine games at the five and six singles positions. And to your point, let's just say glass half full. I'm in on Tien. At the number yeah, one spot, absolutely like, uh, pushing the mm-hmm. chips in early. We're both like, uh, let me stake the corner, you know, for Kimmy Hans, three set tough physical loss the day prior, you know, six, three, six love loss. Obviously you can't have that happen for Kimmy Hans. If this UCLA team wants to get to the sweet 16, let alone to the final site where I know they hold themselves as a program standard two. it's five and six, you know, and again, it's Ong and Vagramov. Uh, who go zero and two on the week? Zero uh, and four, excuse me, on the weekend as well. Like that—that's an issue. I, I don't know how else to say it. That's an issue. Yeah, I, there's nothing else to say. And all right, so let's do this now, though, because you look for this. Well, it wasn't an upset, but it's just the most natural place to do it. It was a disastrous weekend for the Pac-12. Disastrous yeah. and. Obviously, UCLA going 0-2, look, they're going to have time to rebound from that. I still think they probably end up as a top 16 seed, but now the— A hundred percent no. A hundred percent no. There's no way. There's no way. I agree with you. Top 25? Barely. Okay. Maybe. Maybe. I would say no right now. No. Here's here's the thing. There's this tier of what do you do? in the Pac-12 right now and across that tier. um, And I guess let's get to some of the takeaways right now because this is one of our biggest takeaways from the weekend. So I guess a quick tangent here. We'll get back to the other upsets momentarily, although I think they were a a little bit more palatable or predictable. That's the word. Um, But look, for the Pac-12 on the women's side, Stanford looks great. 
And certainly they will not only be in the top 16 discussion if they have a good indoors and they also play Pepperdine this weekend, they've still got a very, very strong shot at top eight. And they're in their own tier here. But USC loses to Notre Dame first match. UCLA goes 0-2. Arizona State, frisky team, would have loved to see them pull an upset this weekend. They weren't able to do so. You know, Washington gets in, which more the Pac-12, if you are the Pac-12, you are calling every person you know around Washington women's tennis, and you are saying, please, we need, I was going to swear. Sorry, Westoff. We need a fucking win. Like, you're like, Washington, you got to do it for the conference now. Um, Because they have two teams at the indoors. And, like, that's, we've seen this for the Big Ten. That's not good. Yeah, well, I mean, we also didn't mention We'll probably talk about this a little bit more, but Cal's lost, right? So Cal's yeah, not there. Sure. Cal, UCLA, USC, all not there. Stanford's the only Pac-12 team to qualify. Yes, you throw in Washington, but Pac-12 has as many schools as the West Coast Conference with San Diego and Pepperdine. And now you're in serious ranking trouble for the Pac-12. The reason why I would bet the house on UCLA not being a top 16 seed is where are the wins going to come from? Right. Well, it they needs just... to be a Stanford Washington indoor final. Yeah. Yeah. You need, the indoors needs to be Stanford and Washington leaving as the top two teams in the country. Yeah. And then UCLA and Cal and USC all need to beat up on Stanford and Washington. Like that's the only way. Right. But there's only so many Pepperdine wins to go around for UCLA or USC. It's just not in the cards right now. It's not possible. We saw last year Stanford, UCLA always on the outside looking in both of them having to travel to sweet 16 for basically the same reason, right? They just don't get the ranked wins. Now UCLA had to miss some regular season action last year. It, the math just isn't possible. Yeah, no, well said. And I think again, looking for each of these teams and let's talk about that Cal upset. Now San Diego, a very good weekend. They go and they beat Georgia tech, uh, obviously a team we're both uh, pretty high on, uh, and then San Diego goes ahead and, you know, beats Cal in the regional final as well. I believe each of those were 4-1 score lines uh, for this San Diego team. And look, in, uh, for San Diego in each instance, they get the doubles point. Uh, you know, for them, they bring back, I think, five returners. And one of those returners has been replaced by the transfer from Texas Tech, Junior Kaylee Evans, who has a fantastic weekend at the number yep. four spot for them as well. Salomir Colling, who uh, – six spot, thank you. Salomir Colling, who had a really good summer on the pro circuit and is a top 50 player. She has a really good – or I thought a pretty solid weekend at the number one spot as well, you know, on the uh, at match point against Giovara. And, you know, again, I know Carol Lee got her, but – Carol Lee's really good. The big picture is I think Colling's very competitive at that number one spot. You feel like she's in a coin flip position. They've got veterans everywhere. Again, does this tell you more about San Diego or more about Cal? Ooh, I mean, it's honestly tough. And this is where you look at the kickoff draft and you go, who you play really matters, right? Yeah. In the same way, if NC State doesn't get Vanderbilt, the, we're, yeah, they're still – heading to indoors, right? I mean, this is a San Diego team that just lost to USC who went on the road and had a very surprising loss to Notre Dame. And so if you're USC, you're like, how, why couldn't we get San Diego uh, at kickoff? I mean, this probably told me uh, more about San Diego. I mean, yeah. we'll see it indoors. I mean, I, 
I did, wasn't expecting Cal to get through. I thought it was going to be Georgia Tech. So props to San Diego. That San Diego win over Georgia Tech was a more eye-opener for me than this win over Cal. It's interesting because, again, and another shout-out should go to Elizabeth Goldsmith, who went 2-0 and on the weekend in singles. That was at the number four spot. That's what I confused. I agree. I just think the San Diego team's in the mix, and this is the byproduct of the COVID era. You look at this roster, you know, there's not a single freshman on it. Everyone has some sort of playing experience, and there is real depth and real institutional knowledge up and down the lineup. And, like, you know, again, they got Georgia Tech, played really good singles. They got, you know, well, I guess on the Cal side, Weir's home, you can tell, still nursing a shoulder injury. There were times when she had to serve underhand. I'll let Giovara played fine throughout the course of the weekend. And by the way, I think it was Freeman who had match point on Giovara yeah. and calling won a match against Giovara, did she not? Or was Colin first- beat Giovara in the second round. Yeah, straight up. And then it was match point for the other one. I think Giovara looks good. Like, she's a big hitter. She'll have her days. Jess El Sola, I'm all in on. Healthy mm-hmm. Weir's home, I'm all in on. Four, five, six seems like an issue. Yeah, I mean, they've moved Filler Muller up to four, which I think is uh, going to be tough for her in that position. And I think five and six, I think they're struggling with some injuries. Um, you know, they br- have brought in a freshman and a spring admin in Pasola. We talked about last week uh, who playing five. I think that depth is going to be a challenge for Cal. Yeah, well said. And, you know, again, you look at this region for what it's worth. Every match valuable. Cal wins over Prince, uh, the win over Princeton, Georgia Tech, the win over Princeton as well. But I didn't hate how Princeton looked this weekend either. Like I thought they looked top forty. I, I mean, they, I think they should win the Ivy League for sure. But even if they don't, I think they're going to beat someone this year. I, I really do. I mean, how much longer do we need to wait? Uh, <laughs> you know, last season it was like every match, and there was a point where they were like zero oh, and six. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean. Would be great to see them get a win. I'm still in. I'm still in is what I'm going with here, Jay. But all right, last upset we can talk about. And I say upset. It wasn't an upset. It was a really good match. It was just a host team going down Oklahoma State taking on Michigan. We had that match on our broadcast. Michigan ultimately the 4-2 victory. There were some moments of highway robbery. I believe Oklahoma State was up 4-2 on all three doubles courts. You know, Jane Brown. Kari Miller, the number two team in the country, end up taking a 7-5 win. Kari hits this electric down-the-line pass on match point. Julia Fliegner had a high backhand volley on match point, 6-5. She misses it, but Michigan ultimately takes it in the breaker. And then there were just battles everywhere. Like, every singles match was really good throughout the course of this. And, you know, you look for Oklahoma State. Miyamoto was really good at that number four spot. I believe that's a big win. Uh, Or at the number five spot, excuse me, the big win. Uh, in straight sets. I know Wolfberg played pretty well against Jaden Brown. I don't think it was Jaden's best tennis, but that's credit to the pressure Wolfberg put her under. But look, like, Kari Miller, five and six. That's ultimately what it comes down to against Christina Novak at the number one spot. This match was a grind, grind. Two and a half hours of straight set tennis. You know, they play again this week. Like, it wouldn't shock me if it's 4-2 the other way, Jay. This was a really good win for Michigan. Great follow-up for them after the Oklahoma win in the opening weekend. And again, the inverse of the Pac-12. Holy crap. Did the Big Ten need to get a couple schools to indoors? And Michigan provides that exactly to them. 
Yeah, I'm really impressed by Michigan so far. You know, you talk about these matches being decided by a few points, which is definitely the case in this Oklahoma State match. And for the last two weekends, Michigan has been the team that is winning those, you know, deciding points, if you will. Uh, So, yeah, they're playing really well. And, you know, they're joined by Ohio State, right, who ran back a very similar regional to last year where they play Tennessee in that second round. Uh, a much closer match this time around for Ohio State, who I think Tennessee is better this year than they were last year. They've got a really solid one through six, but Ohio State comes away with the victory. And now not only right do Ohio State and Michigan have the Oklahoma win right in their back pocket, they now each get a very solid top 20 type win in Oklahoma State and Tennessee and they get to go to indoors, right? And they get to get one or two wins at indoors or maybe all four. We will have to see, but that's good news for the Big Ten who right now needs those points as they started the year, you know, well outside the top 10. Well, there were 12 players who played in this match in singles, right? Six single slates times two, that's 12. Do you know nine of the players were ranked in this match in the top 120 of the ITA singles rankings? And I know it's early in the season, but... I think there's a tier of teams, and we talked about this all off-season long, but what's sort of forming by this national indoors is, again, that 11 – or really 9 through 22 portion of the rankings where you look at a team like Michigan where Kari Miller won, but someone as experienced as Andrea Serdan at 6. You look like this Oklahoma State team. Again, similar fashion. We talked about it with San Diego, with Vanderbilt, with Iowa State certainly as well. They're all deep as hell. Like, there is not a weak spot. It's going to be – this year it's not where are you vulnerable. It's where do you never lose? And I know that's, like, crazy to say out loud, but it's going to be like, hey, do you have the one blue chip? Because every other match when it's crunch time, it's coming down to three sets or five and six like we saw in between that Miller and Novak uh, thing. Uh, Novak thing. Match. Um, Like, I'm worried for our predictions this year, Jay, because pun intended – It's going to come down to deciding points. I really don't see margins between these teams. I don't see weak spots in lineups. So you're going to make predictions this year is what I'm hearing? No, that's why I haven't made (laughs) Exactly. That's why I don't need to. Uh, No, I I, I just, again, we talked about the depth. Isn't this matchup the epitome of it? Like Oklahoma State's not going to kickoff to national indoors. That's crazy to me because they're in any other year, they're 100% top 16 good. And they probably are this year. Yeah, they, you know, they could be this year. I think that's one of the hard parts about the kickoff weekend. Again, it comes down to who you're playing there. I, Oklahoma State did not want to see Michigan in their draft, and certainly not after this past weekend. There's a lot of teams like this. There's a lot of teams, and it reminds me of Duke last year, right? Duke last year gets upset by Oklahoma, and they're a little bit waiting in the wings for the majority of their season. They played their tough matches later in the year. They had a tough loss. All of a sudden, they're an NCAA semifinalist. Right. And so there's going to be teams who miss kickoff weekend who still have phenomenal seasons and they're still in, you know, you know, quarterfinal top 16 range that we're not going to be talking about for the next few weeks, really. So let me ask you this. And I mean, the answer is obvious, but NC State, Cal, uh, Oklahoma State or Miami, who's this year's Duke? Mrs. Kickoff goes to the NCAA semifinals. It's got to be NC State, right? 
because it's the four host teams that lost. It's like, are you this year's Duke? And I think if you're NC State, that's what you're telling yourself is, hey, Vanderbilt's really good. We got time. Yeah, I mean, if any of those, if any, if it's any of them, it's NC State. Yeah, it's the easy answer there. But by the way, freshman alert. If you haven't watched out two hands on both wings, freshman Lily Jones, who was down match points in the third, fought off from a love 40 deficit for five all, who got a three-set win against Oklahoma as well. She just freaking competes. Like, it's everything you want. This is For your first few matches on the job as a freshman, this sort of pressure, a freshman to get excited about. Keep your eyes on Lily Jones. But again, those are the upsets. Four host teams going down on the weekend for what it's worth. Uh, by the way, Kansas got a 4-0 win over Oregon in their final match. I know that was a team you had your eyes on. Let's move, though, big picture. There were a bunch of other regions, a bunch of other takeaways for us to discuss. Where I want to start, let's power rank our top three hosts from the weekend. Jay, I'll start with you. Give me your number three first. Ooh, okay. My number three is Georgia. Mm-hmm. This is a Georgia team who had USC in their region, who we all had circled for a Georgia-USC matchup. And after that Notre Dame win over USC, Georgia comes out, they drop doubles, and then they pretty convincingly beat this Notre Dame team. They win four straight set matches. Now, I thought they looked really good in that win over Notre Dame. We did not see Alex Vekic. I do not think she is eligible. So that hurts in terms of like long-term expectations, but I feel really good heading into indoors about this Georgia team. They're my number three power ranked team. I'm going to go, and they're not number three in my rankings, but number three from the weekend. Yeah, right? power rankings. Yeah, yep. okay, perfect. Uh, just to clarify for the listeners as well, this is not my number three team. Number three on the weekend for me was Oklahoma because mm. after losing in the fashion that they did, what they go, two and ten in singles matches against Ohio State and Michigan yep. combined, for them to have that performance, there were some doubts. We talked about them last week. Changes in the lineup certainly were something interesting, but to 4-0 Minnesota and 4-0 over Texas Tech, not necessarily unexpected. It's the fashion that they did yeah. it in. They were on and off the court in under five hours this weekend, probably under four hours. And they just, it was a blitz. It was like, you know what, coach, that's on us. False start, offense, two-match penalty, restart the season. And that was the restart where it's like, no, 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 no. This is who we are. Everyone looked good. They dropped like eight games in the regional final. I'm not saying they're back. I'm saying it was exactly what the doctor ordered. A hundred percent. Right. You know, come out there, win these two matches 4-0 and in the dominating fashion that they did. This is the Oklahoma that we expected to see, you know, end to end come out here. And yeah, they had a a rough weekend and we'll have to see right now. We've kind of seen uh, both sides now. We'll talk about this in the week ahead. Like it doesn't get easier for Oklahoma from here on out. Right. So it's good to see this form. You know, you worry the more you see that you're like, oh, gosh, like how do we stop this bleeding? Bleeding's been stopped. And um, and now they reset. All right. Number two. So I also had Oklahoma, but I had them as number two. Uh so I will again, we'll we'll mix it up. You're I'll gonna throw audible in- or do you want me to go? Yeah, you know what? I'll let you audible. Oh, I was gonna audible. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are no I'm gonna... rules in a power <laughs> ratings. Come on, it's still a crack racket show. Yeah, I'll go Duke. 
Uh, I'll go Duke here because I do think that they had um, a really tough uh, second round match. I think Wisconsin is very good this year. They played North Carolina close and Duke beat them by about the same margin, if you will, as North Carolina did. I think it's helpful that they seem to be getting you know, their freshmen from last year into the lineup. They're finding ways to incorporate the grad transfers. Cam Mora at number two came away with some solid victories. It seems like Georgia Drummy is coming back from injury. She's at four. She gets a win. So I feel I feel good about Duke coming out of this weekend. I thought that Wisconsin match was going to be a test. It was, and they survive. You know this. I'm in on Coach McKenna. I'm in on Wisconsin. I think they are the third best team right now in the in the Big Ten, and Northwestern has to go prove. It. And I think who did who beat Northwestern early this season was Vanderbilt, maybe one of the teams we've talked about already. They beat Van, uh, Vandy, beat Northwestern. Yeah, that's what it was, and they played them pretty close. So I think Northwestern's top twenty-five as well. Again, I think Wisconsin is too, and one of those teams needs to go do something here in this month of February before conference play begins, because I can see top twenty-five level play. Uh, the rankings won't until one of them goes and earns a big victory. And so I think each team's capable of it. I like Duke included on your list. I didn't have them on mine. My number two has to be your Stanford Cardinal because, and by the way, I spoke with our dear friend, Bradley Klon, who of course joined us this weekend for our coverage, but I was talking with him independently. And I asked him about the Cardinal thing to which of course he had to give me the red, the lecture. It's not an actual Cardinal. It's Cardinal red. And I was we've like, been I through know. this so many times. Yeah, I was like, BK, I know I'm saying it's still stupid. Um, but you know, it was also stupid is how good their lineup is. And like, you actually saw it unfold this weekend and you look for this Stanford team who we had in our lock category, of course, but four over Kansas state, four over Florida state, they did what we expected Oklahoma to do. Like, but they, they're there. It's the Oklahoma weekend, but without the blip before. So it's like, they came out, they crushed, obviously the big matchup coming up this weekend against uh, Pepperdine, but like, that's a really good start for the Stanford team. Yeah. And I was able to catch some of the action, both the men's and the women's this weekend. They looked good. You know, they are still, Playing with their lineup, you had Yepa Finova uh, debut at number one there against Florida State, um, Connie Ma at two. They looked really good. I will caveat my power rankings. I excluded the uh, Ohio State and Stanford as hosts because we had already spoken about them. So they would be in this top three. I thought they looked really good. But it's indoors, so we'll see. This is not a team that's going to get much practice indoors. No, you're right, though. I like that they're playing around, and I kind of, you know, I love a good platoon system. And, and I'm curious if Blakina is capable of it. She certainly looked the part thus far, but her Yepafanova Ma, I'm just in. I like. I, it's a really good top three, and obviously, to push Blake to four is a joke. Like, yeah, and- I don't think they're going to push Blake to four though. They clearly want Blake at three, Blakina at four. That's what they played against Florida State. They think their best lineup is Blake at three, Blockina four. Well, so that's exactly what I was going to get to is that it's fascinating that they didn't make that switch. And so and it's a testament to Blake, by the way, who like lost two matches last year right. at the number three single spot. She's really freaking good. It was just a reminder that, oh, no, 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 no. Like if you think Stanford's not making it to the final site in Orlando this year after two years away, 
hell hath no fury, like a scorned Stanford team. And so I'm very fascinated to watch the Cardinals compete against top level competition. All right. Who's your number one? Two time defending NCAA champion, Texas. Really? Really? Yes. Wait. Yes. So, you know, they were one we didn't have in our coverage. Their lineups mm. confused me, all the permutations we've seen. That was my biggest takeaway is like, yeah, there's a lot of good players and they didn't drop a point because, of course, they didn't. Why were they so impressive to you? Well, I think it's twofold. I think one is that you're actually seeing the lineup pieces come together, right? So you do see freshman Nicole Kieran make her debut at number one singles, which is a big deal for them, moves everyone else down. Yes, kind of confusing who's going to play three through four through six. I think Shavathpan, Zainalova, maybe in that two, three spot. Who's four through six? Pretty unclear, but they rolled Baylor. I mean, they win 4-0, yes, but the three singles matches that they clinched, they lost five games in total. I mean, they completely rolled this Baylor team. I thought they looked really good top to bottom. They have a ton of different pieces, whether they want to play Patch Galeva, they want to play Zane, they want to, you know, move in the other freshman Rivkin. They've got a lot of pieces. We had only seen this team play against um, not as tough competition. So to come out, kickoff weekend, dominate the way they did. It was the most impressive performance for me on the weekend. Here's the thing. It was a really close devil's point. And you just wonder for Baylor, who obviously sees Texas all the time, how much did that just zap the momentum? You're on the road. You take 6-4 decision at one, comes down to breakers at two and three, and Texas takes both of them. Now that's a testament to Texas. But you can tell in singles, you know, Texas takes six first sets. 0-0 at four. Patch Kaleva just a name to throw out there, one and two at five, Rivkin, the freshman, one and one at six. Hey, they, they're back. Yeah. Like it's just, yeah. again, new it's faces, really tough. same story. That's a really yeah. good Texas performance. And for them, they go eight deep, right? So they don't need to play Patrick Lave in every match. They don't need to play Rivkin. They don't need to play Marley Zane. They have options at four, five, and six. They can rotate in and out of that in a lot of ways that these teams can't, which, by the way, super important in indoors when if you want to go all the way, you got to play four straight matches. Mm-hmm. My number one, Pepperdine, because to, oh, you're making a face. <laughs> I'm making a face. Wow. So we had them, obviously, on our broadcast. I understand there were some struggles for the Campanas in doubles and you know, again, and singles. Yeah. And, and well, I forget whether it was Anna or Carolyn. Who Anna won. won. Carolyn. Yeah. OK, not. so thank you. Um, a lot of names rolling through my head right now, folks. Here's the thing. You're right. Yes, that was a struggle. But let's be clear. No Tim Chaiwat this weekend in singles, which I think matters. And B, the pieces we did see. Chen looks amazing. Brodus looks amazing. Czar looks amazing. Redelic is exactly what she thought we thought she'd be, which is just a damn good piece wherever she's playing. If it's somehow in the four through six positions in your lineup, she's just like, again, it's going to take two hours to beat Nikki Redelic. And it's just like the super team we thought they had last year, where it would just be like, yeah, again, it maybe it's a little thin, but you just know there are superstars everywhere. Chen is that superstar. Brodus is that superstar. Czar is that superstar. And like, again, not to slight Nikki Redlick here, who was really good this weekend as well. Like to quote, who is it? Who, what's the, uh, oh my God. 
I can see his face. They are who we thought they were. The the uh you know the the, the former cool uh, Dennis not Dennis Allen. It was um I forget who it was, but you, uh, hopefully you know the football reference I'm making. And it's just like Pepperdine was what we thought they might be, which is that look, bottom of the lineup is what it is, but you got to go through some superstars, and the superstars looked super. Yeah, but you need more than three and a half players to win the match. I mean. I feel not as good about Pepperdine after this weekend than I did last weekend. And I feel like I'm having to play the negative role, which I hate doing here. But no, please do rein me in because Pepperdine remains our biggest mistake. <laughs> well, they might be yours this season, too. By the way. Yeah. And producer Daniel Westoff, Dennis Green, Dennis Green. I knew it was a Dennis. I just I had forgotten the last name. Dennis Green, the football coach. They are who we thought they were. Yeah, I never heard that name in my life. Uh, <laughs> that wasn't coming out of my mouth. Uh, you know, look, where's Tom Chaiwat, right? She doesn't play. It's a big piece missing. It's a team that has seven players, right? So you don't see action from Tom Chaiwat. So you're at six, right? Carolyn Campania, I thought not only did the Campania struggle in doubles, she really struggled in singles, right? And that's a player that you expect should be one of these locks at five, you know, in the bottom of the lineup coming over from playing one at Wake Forest. I thought Nikki Redlick played very well moving up to four. We haven't seen her at four much in this Pepperdine lineup, but five and six, I still have a lot of questions about from a power ranking perspective. It certainly was not Pepperdine that I felt, you know, we know how good those top three are. They have a top three that compete with any single team in the country, but it's going to take a little bit more than that as doubles as well you feel good you feel great about number one doubles with chen and brodus gotta find other pieces i don't know i kind of like the the teams we saw this weekend like i thought they had some some success and let's be clear com- oh sorry go ahead the components the- not their best weekend you're right but we know what, <laughs> but we know what they're capable of don't they get the pedigree nod yeah, but that's the, my concern, right? Particularly these fifth years that come to Pepperdine. We saw this last year and they underwhelm, right? And so I get concerned when we start to see signs of that early in the season that this could just be all downhill. We don't see Tim Chaiwat. Carolyn Campagna is struggling. But and, let's be clear. We saw Tim Chaiwat in Vegas. Um, and Coach Per Nilsson came on our stream afterward and said, look, we were dealing with some injuries, so we didn't have everyone this weekend, which is, again, the fear at the in the pit of every stomach of every Pepperdine fan. Right. So that's that's confirming the fear, right? It's not like they just wanted to not But they play still her. won 4-0-4-0. Again, the draws kickoff weekend really, you know, help. Uh, and look, this is a team that's going to win 4-0 against a lot of teams because they'll probably find a way to sneak dubs. And one through three is going to be better than anyone's one through three outside of, you know, these top 10 teams that we're talking about. Yeah, I'm just saying the superstars look super. Like, it's just like Chen killed. Brodus killed. Like, Czar yeah. was in winning positions. They are as good as we thought they were. And I know there's a lot of teams with strong top end talent, but like, Outside of, I'll say it, North Carolina, I'll take Pepperdine's top three. Like, I, I'd like to see the Stanford battle, and we get to yeah. see it this weekend. Um, but I'm taking the experience of that Pepperdine top three because, again, NCAA quarterfinalists last year, national indoor semifinalists last year, all of those players have played big, more big matches than I think the Stanford team has collectively. Although, sure. Duke's I mean, in the con- could, there's a lot of yeah. teams in the conversation. Yeah. Um, but again, with that said, 
Uh, let's quickly go through some of the other regions we didn't get the chance to chat on, and we'll wrap it th- fire through. Virginia, thoughts? Mm. I mean, you know, no Sarah Hamner for South Carolina, so that makes that match a little easier for Virginia. Uh, Virginia's got to figure out the lineup. Um, I'm not sure who's going to be playing one. Uh, right now they have Julia Adams. You know, they survive. It could be a tough indoors for Virginia. Well said. Good win for South Carolina to beat Northwestern, given the circumstances. Yes. Georgia region, you brought up Georgia. They looked better. But the story is Notre Dame beating USC 4-3, right? Like, that's something we yeah. got to discuss here. Thoughts on the Georgia region? Well, that was the sh- that was like what, you know, we're talking about an upset-filled kickoff weekend. That Notre Dame-USC match was one of, like, the first ones of kickoff weekend. It was like, oh, my gosh, like, we're in for a weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Notre Dame, you know, this is a team that, is sneaky good, right? They took five first sets off North Carolina last year indoors at home, but I did not see this coming. I think the most shocking thing for the USC is that they did not get a single win in singles from any returner. The only wins that they got were in freshman Maddie Sieg and Charney. They pulled Naomi Chung after doubles. She did not play singles. I don't know if she's still dealing with injuries Really shocking loss for for USC, who, again, the one bright side of their year last year was kickoff weekend. And, you know, fortunes turned this year. Maybe then it'll be the reverse fortune. This time it'll be the end of the season where the Trojans peak. Look, I said it. This Notre Dame team has depth. They've brought in multiple five-star recruits in each of their last three recruiting classes. I happen to be a huge fan of head coach Allison Silverio. You're not going to find a lot of head coaches that I'm not a huge fan of, but I I, I just believe in her. I, I really do, and you can tell players are buying in. There's a lot of experience on the roster. Um Westoff sent me something funny that I'm not even going to say back out loud. Westoff saying he doesn't like me. So there's an easy one there. Or, you know, the dislike there. He's like, you don't, you know, again. Anyways, funny Westoff. Um, look, I, I like it. It was a really good win for Notre Dame. It's tough for USC. I mean, to not get the crack at at uh, Georgia that they were looking for. And it was fascinating to see Sia get one, Han at two, Cayetano at three. Like, I didn't expect that either, Jay. I don't think we did see that. I thought we, we saw, saw that in in the in the first match against Notre Dame. Am I wrong here? I saw a match. Cayetano or no, you know what? One. That I was think that pre... was that, no. That was the match before where they beat yeah. San Diego, where Cayetano yes. played three. You're yes. right. I'm goofing there. Um, yes. Yeah, it's tough. It's it's a tough loss. Again, I, I it's a big win for Notre Dame, who also will be in the ACC and will have plenty of opportunities for ranked wins. And now it's not just the headline names in the ACC. Obviously, we know Virginia, NC State, Duke, and obviously UNC, what they'll bring, but Georgia Tech and Notre Dame. And, you know, again, the list goes on and on. This ACC conference once again reloaded. We saw that in Georgia. You already brought up the Bulldogs earlier, so we'll move on. Auburn. 4-2 win over UCSB, 4-1 win over UCF. They dropped the doubles point against UCSB, despite the fact that UCSB had to abandon the number three spot. That's why I thought their response in what was a final chopped up by rain delays, but they were so much better in match number two than they were in match number one was my big takeaway for Auburn first. And then, look, I think Ansari, Arsenal are ready for those top two spots. I really liked their freshmen, who I believe, each, if not one of them, are currently ranked. 
they didn't have Ovunk, and yet they looked really good. They get back to the national indoors. That's what top, not top, top tiers, but that's what the best programs do, and that's what Auburn does this weekend. Yeah, look, they have, you know, ranking-wise, one of the toughest regional, right, to get out of it of a region with uh, Arizona State, UCF. You know, they ran it back from last year. Uh, Auburn is starting a lot of freshmen, right? DJ Bennett at number three, uh, you know, two others uh okatori at yeah. i think she was playing four or five so they've got they've got inexperience there right and this is a great test and a good you know it, now they'll advance to indoors right and they'll get to face those matches get more experience in what will be a, a tough sec schedule you know they survived in advance in a way that um some other teams didn't very well said well let's move on to our last two ohio state twofold a I think this Tennessee team belongs in that Michigan, Oklahoma State, San Diego tier of just like six players up and down the lineup. They can all play. And on any different day, they're going to find different ways to four points against you. That said, for this Ohio State team, if Arena Contos is really playing three, if Shelly Berizniak is really going to be this player in her sophomore years, the angle she's able to generate, she just worked both of her opponents throughout the course of the weekend – did she beat Kari or did she beat Jaden uh, at the Michigan Invitational? She beat one of them, I'm I'm pretty sure, at the start of the year in that spring, uh, in that early Invitational. The Buckeyes are so deep, like they really are. Like in and I think it's Marzal at six again this yep. year. She looks much more like her 2021 self. Like she was striking the forehand so confidently this weekend. Tennessee's good. Ohio State might be very good, Jay. Yeah, I mean, I think they're 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 pushing that, you know, top 12, top 10, you know, argument right now, particularly indoors, right, where they look really good. I mean, look, you have an experienced, you know, Coley Allen at four, Marzal at six, Berezniak finally factoring into the lineup. I think there were high hopes for her as a recruit. You know, she's rolling through some of these matches and, you know, Sydney Ratliff, we've talked about in the fall, really made a sophomore surge. So they've got a lot of pieces. They've got pieces and doubles, you know, Boulay, Allen, all of these factors that we've seen before. I feel like this is still just like this Ohio State train is just really humming. Yeah, I, very well said. Ratliff's the real deal. The explain, you know, she had an overhead she missed on set point that was a game point in that first set against Tennessee that just kind of felt like the turning point in that match. But ball just explodes off of her racket. Boulay working her way back to health. You know, again, you could tell Coley Allen, though, at five, she's just going to be out there grinding. You know, you're going to get at least two and a half hours out of her. That said, I really like this Tennessee team. Like, Kutzer was right there with Contos. Yeah. And again, Mertena, Adashina, just all the different pieces. They're solid. They're they're top 25 good. If they can get an upset or two, beat a Vandy, beat a Georgia in the SEC season in Texas A&M, just one of them. Maybe you can sneak your way into the top 16. But they're going to be in the mix, by the way, because this was one of, one of our other takeaways on the Big Ten. If you're in the Big Ten Conference, you are praying that Ohio State and Michigan not only each win two matches, but that they're both on the other side of the draw from one another. Because the worst case scenario is that they play and that it squanders one of your shots at another top 16 team. So that's something else to pray for, not just because the rivals will see each other enough during the regular season, but like you want them to play different foes as well. Sink the tentacles into all the conferences. 
Well, that's the beauty of both kickoff weekend and indoors, right, is the ability to play teams from all sorts of different conferences. And one of the things I really do like about indoors for the women, which they do not do for the men, is that they do not seed nine through 16. So they will intentionally avoid a Michigan, Ohio State first round matchup. Now, after that, the cards fall where they fall. But that's a beautiful thing if you're going to indoors you're guaranteed to play a team first round that's not on your schedule right now yeah love that love that about this event and again i think each of these teams enter with expectations let's go get two wins you know let's get to the quarterfinals and so that's going to be really fun last region Texas A&M, who were your final qualifiers on the women's side, 4-0 over FAU, and then the 4-2 win over conference foes. Florida, two advances with a match played indoors at Baylor, ultimately due to weather. A&M taking the doubles point. Stoyana gets a win at one. Brandstein, Stein, we were corrected, right? That was Brandstein. Yeah, it is Stein uh, with the win at two and then Ewing with the win at three in straight sets as well. Now, for what it's worth, Florida got a win at six. Dahlstrom also got a good win over Goldsmith. I think that has more to do with Dahlstrom than it does Goldsmith. And indoors. Yeah, exactly. I think Goldsmith only loses matches indoors. Cooperus was solid at five, forcing three sets. But we see here this AM team, they've got one of those top three, right? So they flex their gun up there. It is interesting to see Goldsmiths at the four. They're going with the freshman Cooperus at five. I expect they'll play around with their six all year long because I do have a couple of options. They'll also yep. have the luxury to do that. But again, another win for Texas AM. They've lost two matches since the start of last season. Yeah. And thankfully, it was looking. Like for a while there, they might not even play this regional and Texas A&M would advance without even playing. So I'm glad they were able to get these matches in. You know, Texas A&M will appreciate that from a ranking perspective. But, you know, this was a a tough match against two teams who know each other. I was surprised by the some of the results in four through six. But again, that top three for Texas A&M can can compete with anyone. I think you're right. They're going to play around with some of those options at six and we'll have to see kind of where things fall come indoors. But look, this is a really solid, really deep Texas A&M team. Well, I think that's the glass half full for Florida is that new faces like Gallus and Mm -hmm. D'Oliviera, Oliviera. Yeah, that was right. Shout out to you. Uh, And Sayaseva. Sayaseva, yeah. Yeah, they all played well. Like they all played competitively. And for Sayaseva, we have to go on the road against Ewing in this environment. Again, tough spot for the freshman there. But they compete at the bottom of the lineup. And depth is what separates the good from the average. And in this instance, they did have the depth to certainly be in that top 25, top 16 mix. And by the way, they're rooting for Auburn. They're rooting for A&M. They're rooting for Georgia. They're rooting for Vanderbilt. Got a lot of teams to root for. Yeah, exactly. They'll be rooting for the SEC to get some big wins because Florida's going to obviously see all of them in conference play. But with that said, 15 regions up. 15 regions down. That's how we got to our final field here at that at the 2023 National Indoors. And Westoff, let's bring that graphic up on our screen quickly. The recap, your 16 teams who will be competing in Seattle two weeks from today. It starts, of course, uh, you look overall. Can we get the other one, the women's indoor events? We'll get to that momentarily, Westoff. But you look at your 15 teams qualifying this weekend. Again, you had Texas, Iowa State. Pepperdine, Virginia, Georgia, Stanford, Duke, 
North Carolina, Auburn, San Diego, Vanderbilt, AM, Michigan, Ohio State, and Oklahoma. They'll be joined by Washington to round out the field in Seattle. Jay, that's a good that's a really good field. Like I, I got no ifs, ands, or buts about it. That it feels like again, yes, Oklahoma State would be in this mix. Miami, NC State, they're teams that would be in this mix. But let's organize our tiers. And I feel like we're gonna get the chance to do that. Yeah, look, it's it's a fun mix. It's some new faces. It's some old faces. You know, it's some, you know, like Stanford wasn't there last year. These are, you know, it's a whole new new vibe. So I'm looking forward to this. It's a it's a fairly even across the conferences. So there's a lot of um, um so much of this w- will determine rankings right moving forward. We've called the National Indoors the last three years, or at least I have here at Cracked. Uh, I've been a part of it. It's the first time Vanderbilt's been a part of it during my run. And wow. like. That's shocking to me. I see the V on the screen and I'm like Villanova. And then it's like, no, that's obviously Vanderbilt. Um, yeah, I'm excited. We get the blue bloods. We get the new bloods, Iowa state, Michigan, new, new bloods. In. Yeah, exactly. Michigan back in the mix as well. San Diego. Let's roll. It's going to be a really fun event. We are excited to see all of you in Seattle. We will have coverage from day one to the final ball on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. Of course, with that said, now that we have the kickoff weekend in the books, it's time to unveil our first edition of our Crack Rackets Top 10, which, of course, we will offer each and every week for what it's worth. It is myself, John Parsons, Chris Hallioris, and a couple of others who will remain behind the scenes until they give me approval otherwise. But we do have a a wider a wider uh, array of opinions in our Crack Rackets poll here this year. And with that said, Westoff, give me our Crack Rackets top 10. I haven't seen Jay's. He hasn't seen mine. Neither of us have seen Chris's top 10 either. As of right now, you look at our Crack Rackets top 10 things. Uh, maybe getting a little bit funky at the number one spot. North Carolina, number two, Texas, number three, Georgia, number four, Stanford, five, Pepperdine, six, Duke, seven, A&M, eight, Vanderbilt, and tied for ninth, NC State and Virginia. Jay, now that you see it all, what shocks you most? Uh, Well, you know, the I think the top three, and uh, I mean, I'll compare to what I have. And top three is what I have. Uh, four through seven are all the four through seven teams that I have. I'm surprised. I guess the one surprise, I guess, is not having Michigan in this top 10. I have Michigan as a top eight team. I think their resume with wins over Oklahoma, over Oklahoma State is one of the most impressive resumes that we have thus far. So I'm surprised about that. I did not have Michigan in my top 10. I actually think I was the only one of us who didn't have Michigan. Um, The reason for that is I didn't want to penalize NC State for losing to a Vanderbilt team that you alluded to before the start of the season. And we had, you know, we were sniffing around about that we knew was going to be pretty good. And that this NC State team didn't have Schneider, you know, again, still looking to find their bearings here this year. I didn't want to penalize them too much. I also just think, Ohio State's wins over Tennessee and the fashion they beat Oklahoma in is just ever so slightly more impressive than Michigan beating Oklahoma State, although that win was on the road and they beat Oklahoma at home as well. 
It, you could flip a coin. It's a tie. I would have them, Virginia, Ohio State, Texas A&M, who gets a good win over Florida, but is it that much more impressive than anything Michigan's done? Maybe not. Like, they're all in the same tier for me. The biggest difference I'm clearly seeing, I'm really high on Pepperdine and Stanford. I'll just say it. They were my two and three coming out of the week because from an eye test perspective, they were the two best teams I thought we saw on our Crack Rackets broadcast. And then I have Texas at the number four spot. I really will rewarded Vandy, and I brought them up to five for their win. Wow. Five. Well, wow. it's because we had NC State <laughs> as number three, and it's like if you go on the road and you beat them for three, yeah. that's probably the best win any team has this year so far. Okay, so Michigan, Michigan beating number four Oklahoma at home you must devalue that significantly because it's a home match. Well, we have it a week later as well, because not only did Oklahoma lose that match, they lost to Ohio state that weekend as well. And so again, I think sure. the road win for, and the, again, for Vanity to go on the road and win that match four three after losing doubles, three first yeah. set win, uh, three set wins. That's my most impressive victory. I really will rewarded Vanderbilt. And then I really rewarded the eye test with Pepperdine and Stanford. Yeah. And what's interesting, I would like to go on the record here. Okay. Uh, you have Texas A&M. Let the record reflect at number ten. Okay. Chris has them at number nine. I have them at five. Make. The, do you think that Florida win was that good? I have them at four. Sorry, I have them at four. Okay. Why? No, the Florida win wasn't that good, right? Um, we haven't seen a ton from them, but I just think that that roster is extremely complete right now. Okay. And look, these rankings are a, a tough mix between like almost like preseason stuff and like the talent they have on the paper and what you've actually seen live in action, but that's biased by the matches that people have played, all of that sort of stuff. I mean, I think we ended up agreeing that Texas A&M was kind of in that five through six tier, if you will. Um, And so I'm surprised that you have them so low at number 10. Uh, Texas A&M fans can make note of well, it's more just to value some of the wins we see on the board thus far. I rewarded the teams who have impressive victories, and Ohio State has two of them. That's why they're ahead. I didn't want to punish NC State too much for, again, a loss I didn't think was that bad. But to me, the big thing I wanted to note, and if you don't mind me revealing, NC State's not in your top 10. Why? Right. Why? Yeah, like is is it just that the other teams you think are who haven't lost yet are better, so they should all be ahead of them right now? It just by virtue of that process, you haven't lost, so you should be ranked ahead of them. No, I mean, look, I have you know Vanderbilt ahead of them, Virginia, Michigan, Pepperdine, Stanford. I mean, all these teams. One, they haven't lost, but two, they've gotten good wins. Right, NC State has lost, and they don't have any good wins. So uh, the other thing is is look, the NC State you know, hype train, if you will, it was dependent on Diana Schneider. They will do not have Diana Schneider right now, even without the Vanderbilt win. To me, that moves them into that like seven, eight range, add in a loss to a not top yet 16 team in Vanderbilt at home in a match that they should have won a Vanderbilt team that was understaffed, undermanned, uh understaffed understaffed exactly um look not good yeah all right fair i mean again i i think the only team we disagree on you had virginia and i had ohio state and i just think ohio state has better wins so that's why i put them up there but nine of our 10 team 10 teams we agree on who did chris include he has michigan 
instead of Ohio State. That's the only team he and I disagree yep. on. Top 12, 13th. Like I had Virginia, Michigan right off my list as well. You can ask Wes stuff. I sent him a next up just in case yeah. he wanted it that. It gets funky down there. It's tough. Yeah, and again, we've got some big matches coming up to help figure out and perhaps separate the pack here over the course of the next week and perhaps impact well, seating. Could say the, the pack Landers. got separated. Yeah, well, exactly. No, they started. Like the <laughs> the the starting gun has been shot, but we still got to see again. Lap number one, perhaps completed. Two, three, four, seven. Still, um, uh, still to come. And with that said, let's talk about the week ahead because there's a lot of good things. First and foremost, I'd like to present uh, to everyone just a reminder. We've got the NAIA National Indoor starting here this weekend. It's National Indoor season, folks. That's what the month of February is all about. Those NAIA ITA team indoor championships happening uh, in Kansas City. Shout out to my dear friend and now head coach of Kansas Wesleyan, Josh Molino, my former high school coach, putting together this first inaugural NAIA ITA team indoor event. Super, super excited to just see, again, high-level action across the course of the weekend. You've got that going on. And, of course, you've got a ton of high-level Division One action as well. Let's get to that. Shout out to the ITA team. I like their matches of the week graphic. I wanted to include it here on today's show. They point us to some, but, Jay, let's start with number one. What's If you're watching one women's match this weekend, what are you picking? Pepperdine-Stanford or Georgia-North Carolina? Uh. Pepperdine Stanford is the match that one I will be attending in person and two I will be be previewing in more depth on on my show. So that's the one I circle. Absolutely. The Georgia North Carolina match is excellent. There's just not a lot of consequence in that match. You know, like the loser of that match, you go to indoors, you could still have a fantastic indoors. You're in one of the two strongest conferences in the country. Pepperdine Stanford, we talked about the lack of ranking points in the Pac-12. It's a huge match for Stanford. And Pepperdine, a little less so because they have a gauntlet of a schedule. So that's why I circle the Stanford-Pepperdine match in particular. Yeah, well said. The case for North Carolina-Georgia is, guess what? We get to see North Carolina fully flexed. We get to see Georgia fully flexed as well. Uh, who will they go with in those five, six positions? Because you feel like Villanova, Riasco, Ma, Kowalski, we know this four of them are going to be in the lineup somewhere, but who are those other two pieces? That's what they tried to find out this weekend. Certainly when you're facing a North Carolina team where it looks like Annika Yarlagata is a little banged up right now, but that's fine. We slide in Riley Tran and we see Brantmeyer, Crawley, Scotty, Forbes, all the big guns in action. They're having a ton of success with the doubles combinations they seem to have found already as well. If North Carolina is that good, they're going to win this match at home. And, you know, again, maybe they even separate at that five and six position, given the uncertainty for the Bulldogs. That said, we say everyone's good this year. And if that theory holds true, that North Carolina shouldn't win this match 4-0. And I'm just fascinated to see, like, what is the delta between North Carolina and the field? Is it that big, or will they be challenged? And that's what we'll we'll learn over these next few weeks, right? Because we talk about these teams. I mean, look, Oklahoma, NC State have both lost matches to start the year. Clearly, outside of, you know, these top two teams, maybe, it's total parity right anyone can beat anyone now the question is is north carolina and we have to say texas just because we haven't seen it yet are they on a different tier this first match against georgia will be an indication about that 
absolutely. And then again, to just follow up on Pepperdine Stanford, I mean, do we see Tim Chiwat? You know, again, how do these young, you know, Ma and Yepafanova and Blokina, maybe that's the next generation version of obviously Brodus is their peer, but Czar and Chen, who are upperclassmen now, star power. We have star power. And by the way, those aren't the only two good matches on the weekend, Jay. We got plenty others, right? I mean, this is a this is a wild weekend. You know, people coaches like to wait until after kickoff weekend, I think, to schedule these like really tough matches preparing for indoors because one, you don't know what's gonna happen at kickoff weekend. You don't know what these lineups are at these schools. Like you want to know what you're getting yourselves into. Everyone is now jumping in, you know, you know, diving in. I mean, so we talk about Pepperdine. They're also playing Cal, right? You talked about the repeat of the Oklahoma State match at Michigan. They're also at Ohio State, right? All of these teams that we think are maybe in a similar tier. We'll see if anyone breaks away in that weekend. You know, we talk about North Carolina maybe being on a tier of their own, but we haven't maybe seen enough from Texas. Well, USC traveling to Texas, very interesting match, one that USC needs to win, right? If they want to make it be a top 16 this season. And then again, NC State, you know, turns right back around. They'll face Oklahoma on Saturday, followed by Tennessee. Those are two very tough matches, likely going to be indoors for those. So those are going to be long matches given the four indoor courts that NC State has. Uh, we talked about Georgia, UNC on Wednesday. Georgia then goes to Ohio State. Ohio State, I mean, everyone is going to Ohio State this year. They have a brutal schedule. And then on the West Coast, you know, we are getting an early season Pac-12 look. UCLA versus Cal, getting a San Diego team facing Arizona State. Air matches everywhere, everywhere you look, starting tomorrow with UNC Georgia. It's going to be a heck of a weekend, folks. It doesn't stop just because the ITA kickoff weekend is over. It's safe to say the 2023 college tennis season is officially underway. And of course, we'll be here each and every week, Tuesday, 9 p.m. Eastern time to break down all the Division One women's college tennis action. With that said, John Parsons, two for two, under an hour and a half in our first two episodes Sometimes that gets tricky with how much is happening across the college tennis world. Certainly next week, we'll get back into the more standard format, pick out the big results. Obviously, next week, we got a preview show to do as we preview the 2023 National Indoor Championships. But any final thoughts from kickoff weekend? Any final thoughts on the week ahead? Over under 5,000 followers you have on Twitter right now. Under. (laughs) You wouldn't have said it if I didn't slide under. I, I didn't look actually, but uh, no, I don't have any final thoughts. I mean, look, this is an exciting weekend. This is when the action starts. I mean, next week alone, we got to recap these matches. We got to preview indoors. It's a busy time. Look at the screen, folks. What does it say? You can't see because it's can't green see the screen. Out, but it says five thousand still. Five thousand exactly. We're holding steady for now, Jay. Holding steady, but yeah, it's going to be an exciting weekend. Buckle the seatbelts, folks, uh, and. Grab those snacks because the college tennis season is officially underway. With that said, of course, shout out to the people who allow us to recap all the fun action week in, week out. Of course, a massive thank you to our friends at LS. Again, I have shoulders now, and that's courtesy to the fantastic fabric offered by the LS team. Learn more by clicking on the link in the description to the show. Similarly, if you want anything to do 
with the artificial intelligence technology available now in tennis. Turn to the Swing Vision app, learn more, click on link in episode description. With that said, shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, doing 27 different things each and every day, yet still has time to make this all happen. With that said, for the fantastic John J. Parsons, our friends at LS and Swing Vision, our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all tomorrow night to recap the men's show. Thank you very much. Thank you.